We've been talking about the great men and women of the Bible. And uh, last week we talked about, you know, Saul. And um, he was God's choice. But he, he grieved God because he, he failed to do the thing that he should do. And uh, he rebelled against the Lord, didn't keep his word. And so the Lord had to tell him, look, come on, get somebody else to do the job since you're not doing so good. And so that made him, that made him you know, repentant at first. And so, but there's a lot of things that happen in this old boy's life. And so we want to take our Bible and turn to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. And um, let's just go there to chapter 16. We finished last week in our Sunday school lesson in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, talking about the, the little incident with Samuel and how that Samuel took Agag, the Amalekite, and cut him up. So that's how you deal with doing what God says do. God had told him to do it. He did it. And then uh, the Bible says this in verse 35. Uh, and Samuel, chapter 35, last verse, verse 35 of chapter 15. So, and Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. It means it grieved him. Not because Saul couldn't have done the job, but it grieves God when people don't do what God wants them to do. Now, you and I know that when we trust Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us that very moment. And so, when the Holy Spirit indwells you, the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So that means, can God's children grieve God? Yeah, we call him grief, just like our children can call us grief. And our husband can cause us grief. Wives can cause us grief. Everybody can get grieved about a lot of things. Even the preacher can cause you a little grief at times, probably. And uh, not often, but maybe once in a while. But we are sometimes easily grieved. But we expect so much more from each other. And um, God expected Saul to do what he was supposed to do, but Saul disobeyed. You say, didn't God know that? Yes, but God still gives us opportunities. Doesn't God give us opportunities to live and serve Him? What if He took us home every time He got upset with us? Wouldn't be nobody left. Everybody would be gone. So God is very patient with us. Now Saul was a problem, and God was very patient with him, but he was a very rebellious individual. And he sinned against God, and so God says, I'm going to replace you with somebody else. Now look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 16. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from going to heaven so that he's lost now? It didn't say that. He rejected from being king. He was chosen to be a king. Now he's being rejected from being the king. When it comes to salvation, see, salvation, God has chosen to save everyone who will believe. Many people say, well, he only chose to save this one or that one. No, no, no. He chose to save whosoever would believe. And uh, when it comes to service, God has chosen all of his children and ordained them that they should walk in truth and that they should walk in good works. So it's the will of God that all of us do what God wants us to do. So remember this. The day you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were placed by the Holy Spirit of God 
into the body of Christ. As though when Christ was on that cross, he died for me. He was in my place. When he was buried, and when he came back from the dead. So when I trusted Christ as my Savior, see, that was put to my account. So I was baptized, placed into the body of Christ. That's not something you do or I do. That's something that happens by the, Jesus Christ. Says, he will baptize. He places you into Christ, into that body. So we receive the Holy Spirit the very moment we trust the Lord. And so our being baptized is a picture of that death, burial, resurrection. Now, even the Bible says that Jesus Christ was baptized at the beginning of his ministry. So why was he baptized? He didn't sin. And a lot of people never figured that out. But that was a picture of his ministry. He came into the world to be crucified, to die on the cross to pay for our sins, and to be buried and come back from the dead. So he was baptized as a picture of what he was going to do. So when you and I get baptized, it's a picture of our death, our burial, and our resurrection. So that doesn't save anybody. Otherwise, we'd have to baptize everybody. But salvation is the gift of God. But now, when it comes to David, he had been chosen by God after Saul. So God can choose to use people in a lot of different ways. Comes to salvation, going to heaven, uh, God doesn't pick and choose like that. This is for service. This is for what he wanted. I want you to be the king. The disciples was chosen to be disciples. The follower, a learner. Doesn't mean they were chosen to go to heaven, chosen to be saved over somebody else. Salvation is always the same for everybody. God offers his salvation to everyone the same. And all we have to do is believe that when he died, he died for me. He paid for my sins. Well, if he paid for my sins, then I shouldn't have any sins to pay for. He paid for my sins. All he's doing is forgiving me because the payment's paid. So when you believe he did it for you, you are accepting God's forgiveness. I am forgiven of all my sins. I get to go to heaven. That is the gift of God. That is a wonderful, wonderful news. Now, it says in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, where God says, God hath not chosen the, uh, the wise of the world, the noble, and so forth, but he's chosen the weak and the foolish, and so forth. But that's not for salvation. That's what God does for service, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So God says all of us have sinned, so he died for all of us and gives us all eternal life equally. When it comes to service, it's because God wants to use you specifically for something, and he may give it to you and then take it away. And so Saul was to be the king. Well, if God gave that to him, and then because of his rebellion to the Lord, God can remove him from being king. And the shame of it all is he removed him, and also his sons by them dying in the battles with the Philistines. But anyway, you have here in chapter 16... He says in verse 1, he says, Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So I'm talking, he's provided a king. Now, of course, David doesn't know anything about it. So you see, God can choose to use people for his honor and glory. And God knew, hey, there's a, a, there's a little boy out there. He's the eighth son of Jesse. And God says, I, I chose him to be the next king. See, Samuel's job was to anoint him king. Then after that, it would be their sons that would reign. 
So he says here in verse 2, Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he'll kill me. And the Lord says, Take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice. So Jesse's supposed to come and bring his sons. Well, there he is with there, all of his sons. And he, uh, he looks at uh, Eliab in verse 6. And it shall come to pass when they were come. He looked on Eliab and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And the Lord says, Not so fast. Not so fast. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for God looketh on the out, not on the outward appearance, for the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So God looks a little bit deeper. He was looking for somebody that loved him. And uh, he had this man who was uh, the countenance and the man that had um, the height. And God says, no, I want somebody who loves me. Somebody's totally different. Now, isn't it okay if God does a little picking and choosing of who represents him and how they serve? Well, that's the same way it is after you trust Christ as Savior. If your testimony is good, God can choose to use you in a lot of ways. If your testimony is not right, God may just put you on a shelf and not use you at all. Let you just live your life. And uh, not even take you home before your time. So I found out it's better to be an obedient child of God so that God can use you. Or you could be rebellious. But uh, one thing that I can say that the Lord allowed me to learn a valuable lesson as I was growing up. And that is my daddy used to whoop the tar out of me all the time. I just never really liked whoopings. So that helped me to make a wise decision about serving the Lord. I don't want God whooping me. Do you? Then that's why you serve the Lord. Why? I don't want to be whooped. Now, it's better to serve the Lord because you love him. Now, I didn't respect my dad. When my dad said, move, I moved. And I didn't want to sit as close as I did that I had to within arm's reach. Because that could be deadly. One day we're sitting there at the table. My dad's sitting there and he had a friend of his, Emmanuel Freeman. I'll never forget his name. And my sister, Nett, sitting right beside me, and she looked at me, and she laughed, and she said, Yankee, look at him. I said, what? She said, look at him. She said, he looks like a monkey, don't he? I said, <laughs> I laughed. My dad said, what are you laughing about? Nothing, nothing. Then Nett, she elbowed me in gun. She says, Yankee, look at him. She says, he's ugly, ain't he? I said, yep. I laughed. Well, I'm just a little kid. No, I laughed. And then my daddy says, what are you laughing about? Now, he said at this time, I know i got to answer it. How do I tell my dad? I'm not skilled in the art of lying yet. How do I tell my dad why I'm laughing? i got to tell my dad what just happened. And so I looked at my dad and I says, he looks like a monkey. My dad came back with his hand, took me clean off of that bench and up against the wall. And then he took me out and killed me. And um, guess what happened to my sister? Nothing, nothing ever happened to her. I was so gullible back in those days. I just, whatever my sister told me, I didn't know she was setting me up, but she did. She did all the time. She was as devilish as could be. Later on, I led her to the Lord. Mm. Now she's in heaven. I'm glad for that, I guess. Anyway, God has a way of choosing. And he can raise you up and he can put you down. If you humble yourself to the Lord, he can raise you up. If you exalt yourself, he can put you down. 
God has a, a way of dealing with this. So anyway, he uh, goes through all of these kids, and he says down here in verse 11, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? He said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him. See, fetch him, that's a Georgia term. So that's a southern Georgia. Fetch him, and we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and with all a, of a beautiful countenance. Must have been a good-looking kid. Goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, David, from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on a person and then leave. On a person and leave. That's why in 51st Psalm, after David sinned against Bathsheba, he says, um, first, you know, re restoring to me the joy of my salvation, the Lord says, remove not thy Holy Spirit from me, because the Holy Spirit could come upon him to do a job and so forth. Now, Jesus said in the New Testament, my spirit in chapter 14 of John, when he comes, he will be with you and shall be in you forever. And he'll never leave you and never forsake you. So it's a totally different in the Old Testament, New Testament. Now notice what he says here. In verse 14, Saul began to have these uh, fits. Uh, he was very discouraged, very depressed. He was not a happy man. Well, it's because he wasn't doing what God says do. He was rebellious to the Lord. But when you're rebellious, you don't remain that peace and joy and happiness. You just don't have it. It's manufactured, but it's, you're happy if the happenings are good. But if everything doesn't happen to you that's good, then you're sad, discouraged, depressed, and so forth. So you don't have joy. He says, uh, I give you joy that the world can't give. It means that regardless of what's going on out there, you can have the joy of the Lord always. That's why Paul says, even while he was in prison, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. Because of the joy you have. Of, you know who I am. I'm God's child. Do you know where I'm going when I die? I'm going to heaven. This is temporary. Everything in this life is temporary. And you can endure anything for a short period of time, can't you? It's just when it gets too long. Anyway, he says he needed somebody. He says, find somebody that can soothe me, you know, some good soothing music. Well, lo and behold, you know, there was this young boy that knew how to play the harmonica. Look in verse 16. Now our Lord now commanded thy servant which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on an harmonica. I added that in there. Now, why do you think I said that? I have no idea. So when everybody, you hear them sing those songs, when you get to heaven, I'm going to have me a harp and a crown, a, a harmonica and a crown. So you got to, you know, you want to have music in heaven, you got to learn how to play the harmonica. You know when I learned how to play the harmonica? I was 17 years old. I had just run away from my aunt and uncle, and I said, I'm, gonna, I'm sick and tired of people telling me what I can and cannot do, so I joined the Navy. And um, that's not the smartest thing I've ever done. So I was uh, 17 years old, and I had just turned 17, and uh, I had to get my mom to sign for me, so she, she did sign for me. And uh, I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I bought me a, a little old harmonica, about a dollar harmonica. Marine band. And I was laying on the bunk in the train on my way to Great Lakes boot camp, and I learned how to play You Are My Sunshine. 
It was the only song that I knew. I learned how to play that. And so ever since then, I can play the harmonica. And so now I've got all kinds of harmonicas, all kinds of keys. I use the chromatic, and I use the big ones and the small ones and all that. But the thing I like about the harmonica, you don't hardly have to think. If you can breathe, you can play harmonica. All you got to do is just know, do I go up this way or down this way? Do I blow out or do I draw in? So it's a, it's a simple thing. Anybody can learn how to play harmonica. But David played the harp. It was not a harmonica, much as I try to put that in there, but it's not in there. But now notice what he says in verse 17. And Saul said unto his servant, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, and that he is cunning in playing, and a mighty, valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. And look at all these nice things said about him. Did you know that there's a possibility that while David was out there on that hillside watching those sheep and playing his harp, that God was preparing him? He said, I have provided myself a king. In other words, he didn't get to be king for years. He was anointed years in advance. And then it was way later that he actually became the king. But God had already promised, hey, you're going to be the king. You see, sometimes what God wants you to do might be years down the road, and he's preparing you now that you can't even see it. David didn't know he was going to be the king. God hadn't told him until Samuel comes along and anoints him to be the king. And yet, he's still living his life, and he's still not a king. Now he's just playing the music in, uh, for King Saul. So you think sometimes, well, maybe, maybe, you know, God's just going to do it like that. And he's preparing you, and it's taking time. So be patient with the Lord. And you'd be surprised. God may have something great for you down the road, but you may for go all of those wonderful things because you become impatient and stop being faithful. And when you stop being faithful, God will have to put you on the shelf. And you decide, I'm going to serve the Lord, and God will take you. Now you've got to start and prepare some more. And that's why he says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, prepared unto every good work, fit for the master's use. That means fit to be used. Prepared so that God can use you. God doesn't just give you all if you need. He's taking you through processes of where you are, who you work with, who your husband is, who your wife is, what your kids are like, in-laws, outlaws. God uses everything in building you to challenge and to motivate you. And everybody is your master in something. Therefore, you should study every individual because they know something you don't know and probably can do something you can't do, and you can learn from everybody. The shame is when you put down people and thinking, I'm so intelligent and I'm so smart, I don't need anybody telling me anything. Okay, you're going to lose. Learn from everybody because everybody got something that they know that can teach you something. You just got to have some discernment in what you learn and how you use it. It's just like this. People say, well, you ought to have an open mind. I used to have people, yeah, you ought to have an open mind. Well, I have open windows in the house, too, but I like to put screens on to keep the bugs out. So you need to have a screen on your mind from the Word of God to keep out the bugs. So you filter everything through the Scriptures. So anyway, he comes along and he does all these wonderful things, and then one day the Philistines going to fight against, uh, you know, the children of Israel. And you ever heard of the story of Samson and Delilah? Yeah, you heard that. And you've heard about 
David and what's that big guy's name? Goliath? David and Goliath. Well, this is the story in chapter 17. So look in chapter 17. And you have the story of David and Goliath. Now, David was out there feeding sheep, minding his own business. His other brothers, the oldest three, had already gone to the battle. And you'll see that up there in uh, verse 14. See verse 14 of chapter 17. David was the youngest, and the three elders followed Saul. So they were already there. And uh, the Bible says that um, this Goliath, and talk about him being about six cubits high and so forth, well, if a cubic is about 18 inches, well, this man had to be close to nine foot tall. And that's pretty tall. I'm six foot, not big foot, six foot. Three more feet. Big man. He must have been a man of war. I mean, he had to, I mean, when you read some of the stuff, just of the things that he towed around, he'd be like a tank. I mean, he was well prepared to take on anybody. So he gets up there and he brags and he boasts and he challenges the men of Israel. Hey, they was on one side of the mountain and they were on the other side. He says, send me a man to fight with me. And if he wins, we'll be your servants. But if he wins, we'll be your servants. And they, you, you'll be our servant if, if we win. But there was nobody in Israel that would take up on the challenge. Well... Things weren't moving along too well. So there's this problem. So look down here in chapter 17 and look in verse 8. And he stood and he cried unto the armies of Israel, said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. So the results are, well, you're going to win or lose. And so here's this loud mouth up there, and he's challenging Israel. And so in verse 10, and the Philistine says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And so everybody, they heard this. And all of them jumped up and says, I can do it, I can do it. Is that right? Uh, well, nobody wanted to say, I'm not going, I'm not going. Well, why don't you go, Keaton? I'm not going. I'll send my wife. So he says, I regret I've only got one wife to give my country. But no, they didn't want to go. And so David, in verse 15, went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. I mean, this went on for a month, over a month. And nobody would take him on. Well, Jesse says, uh, you better go take some food back to your brothers. And so he got some food together and going to take it back up there and, and see what was going on. So he got some food in verse 17 and and he says in verse 18, carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of the thousand, so forth. So he gave them some food to take up there. And uh, they were all up there. And in verse 20, and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. And Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. 
And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. Uh-oh, David heard him. This changes everything. David heard him. You know, it's kind of like, you know, reading the Bible, and everybody hears it, but somebody really hears it. I've often said one of these days, somebody, some little kid is going to come along, and they're going to read this Bible and trust Christ as their Savior. And they're going to see that God has challenged them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And somebody is going to be so dedicated to the Lord that God's going to raise them up. And wouldn't it be neat to, they say there's seven continents. Wouldn't it be neat if you could shake all seven continents for the Lord? And God is looking for a man. My father-in-law used to tell me, this is Yankee, the world has never seen what God can do through one man totally yielded to him. You know, I was listening, I'm not listening, I'm, this morning when I got up, I always check my email because I get about 200 a day. So I checked my email and three people during the night trusted Christ as Savior in different parts of the world. And so I checked them when I got over here to, the, to check their IP to see where they came from. And they listened to three different sermons. There was four of them. And they listened to four, uh, four different sermons. And uh, one was in Lithuania. The other day, one was in uh, north of Poland. And one on the other side of, uh, like, Germany, someplace over there. And, and another one was in California. And, and another one was off a little island of Africa. Little bitty island. I use Google Earth to find out exactly where it is. Some little island out there in the middle of the ocean you know, hundreds of miles from the shoreline of Africa, a little island, somebody trusted Christ as their Savior. I thought, here we are, Father, I'm sleeping. We're reaching people around the world, literally. I thought, this is awesome, it's awesome. And who would have ever believed that? And uh, I still get amazed at it, I, I just love it. And what they're doing is making it possible with all the, the videoing and the, the sound and putting it all together, and Jesse, and working, and putting stuff up there. I don't do anything. All I do is just talk. They do all the work. But one sows, and waters, and God gives the increase. Nobody saves the soul except the Lord. We just got to get the message to them. 